You know, uh, this series is powerful, eyes wide open. And it's our hope that as a people, as a people of God, that we would begin to see it differently, that we would begin to see through the eyes of Jesus. I love John 4, 35, it says this, it says, don't you have a saying? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says to them, it's still four months till harvest. And he says to them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest right here, right now. I think for many of us, as we live our lives in maybe Western culture or whatever culture you find yourself in, very often we can push out the things that God is calling us to do to another time. But I love what the Lord is saying to his disciples here. He's saying, guys, you are looking for another time for this to come to pass. But right now, I need you to live with your eyes wide open and see that the harvest is plentiful. There are people all around you that are desperate for me, for what I have to give for Jesus. And I pray that we would be a people that would see that. I mean, the context of this story is that Jesus showed up at a well. He was sitting there with a woman, a Samaritan woman, who really at that time was what was considered to be a half-breed. And the Jews despised them because they were part Jew and part Gentile. And isn't Jesus amazing? He goes into the places and speaks to the people that, you know, in our religious issues, we'd be like, why is he doing that? But Jesus Jesus does the exact opposite most of the time of what we think he should do. And at this moment, as this woman, Jesus just reads her mail and speaks to her and she ends up going, oh my gosh, you are the Messiah and runs back to her town and brings all of the town back. That's what it says. It says like all of the town came running back to Jesus. And while she was away, the disciples are like, what are you doing? Aren't, are you hungry? Should we go do something? He's going, guys, you're missing the point. Lift up your eyes, the harvest is here. And I can only imagine that that was the moment when the whole town was coming towards them and they're going, uh, this is a mess. We don't want to deal with this. And he's like, stop. This mess is not the mess that you think it is. It is for a great purpose. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for harvest. People's hearts and lives are hungry for what is real. I don't know about you, but I am really grateful that Jesus sees so differently than we do. What about you? <laughs> I am so grateful that he teaches me how to see differently. I mean, like I said, in this place, what ends up happening is I think that when we see messy, difficult, frustrating people, what does Jesus see? He sees broken lives in need of a savior. He sees harvest. When we see the reality, and I tell you this is our reality right now of panic and pandemic, he sees an opportunity to turn to him, to love our neighbor, to connect as a family, to give to those in need and to protect the vulnerable. He sees opportunity, he sees so differently. And when we see the ugliness of sin, I don't know about you, but when we see the ugliness of sin and begin to judge others for their choices, or maybe it's just me that judges others for their choices, you probably don't do that. But uh, when we judge others for their choices, what I know that Jesus does is he sees an opportunity for forgiveness, connection, and restoration. He sees so differently than us and he longs for us to open our eyes. You know, I, uh, I asked my mom if I could tell this story. I said, mom, are you okay? I called her and I said, are you okay if I tell a bit more of our story, if I'm a bit more vulnerable than I have been before? And she said, yes. So excuse me if I get emotional at parts of this because my mom and my father 
oh my gosh, they are the most amazing people. And I have such a beautiful relationship with them now. But it wasn't always that way. You know, I will never forget the day where I found out about my mom's infidelity. We were sitting there having coffee at this coffee shop and uh, in Spokane, Washington on this snowy, beautiful day. And I remember as we sat there, I, I'm a truth finder and I'm one of those people that loves to dig deep and get to the bottom of the barrel and I wanna know all the dirty details. I've gotta find out because I need to know what I need to be free from. So I like to find out the truth. And I remember as I started to ask my mom these questions, questions that the fear on her face and the shame that overtook her when I realized that for a lot of my childhood, my mom was having an affair and my parents had a broken relationship and we grew up in such a broken home, but loving all at the same time because they did the best they could in that season. But I remember as a 19 year old who had just gotten saved and thought that she knew everything, when I saw my mom's sin. I saw how ugly she was to me. I treated her so horribly. I remember that day I, I swore at her. I stood up from the table. I walked away. I made a scene. I got into my car and I remember her standing outside of the door of the cafe and her looking at me, her looking at me with tears in her eyes as the snow fell on her and I hated her. I was so angry at her, angry at my father, angry at the lies, angry at the sin and I slung shame at them. I was very, very angry and I, I remember, man, not long after I moved, I moved about a year and a half later to Australia and met a very handsome man who if you watched Liberty Live last week, you heard him speak and I moved to Australia about a year and a half after that moment. But I tell you what, that year and a half where I still lived at home, I made sure that my mother knew how angry I was at her, how devastated I was at her, how mad I was at both of them. I made my parents pay for their sin. And when I moved to Australia, I met my husband, fell in love. It was about seven long years that I made, uh, you know, my parents pay for their choices, their life, their decisions. I was angry at them, even though they asked for forgiveness, I refused to give it. And I was not in a good place. Yes, they would come and visit us, but I was cold and prickly and bitter and angry. And I remember when I got pregnant with my first son, who is now 14 years old and way taller than I am. But when I first got pregnant with him and I was nearing the middle of my pregnancy, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, hey, Andy, do you want your children to treat you the same way that you're treating your mother and your father? And I remember being scared out of my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm about to bring children onto the planet and I would never want them to treat me the way that I am treating my parents, my mother in particular. And so I cried out to God. I was like, you know what the truth is, is like, I should forgive, I don't wanna forgive, but I wanna learn how to forgive. So I did everything in my power, everything in my power to figure out how to walk this out because I was so bitter, I was so angry. And I remember I was going to counseling. I'd go on to every altar call. I was reading every story I possibly could. But when we went on our baby moon, you know, cause I was like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have a children in our house for the rest of our lives. And now we have four in our house, not for the rest of our lives. They will move out one day. But all this to say, I remember being massive and pregnant and we went on a baby moon. We went on our last time together, sans children besides carrying him. And he was very large in my womb. Anyway, when we got there, I remember reading the story of the woman caught in the act 
of adultery. And it was actually being told in a book. So I wasn't, I didn't go to find it in the Bible. It happened to be one of those perfect moments where I read the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. And I wanna read this to you out of John 8, verses one through 11. This is the story that I read while I was on my baby moon, trying to work out my stuff and forgive my mom. And this is the story, John 8, one through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts when all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. See, this is what I love about Jesus. He is always teaching. And I pray that even as I read this scripture, you would lean in and learn from the words of Jesus, the great rabbi, our Messiah, the one who is always teaching us. It says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And even this, they are trying to catch him out. So they caught her in the act of adultery, but they're trying to catch Jesus out in this moment. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I'm gonna start doing that with my kids as well when they ask me a hard question. I'm just gonna go down and do that. Um, but when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, I love this. It's just pause. Let me think about what I want to say to you. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard, I love that he says that. And then he gives pregnant pause a moment. He's like, I'm just going to say something super heavy here. And I'm going to let you think about what I just said. And when he stooped down to write on the ground, at that moment, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Even that's interesting, interesting to me. Those who heard, those who actually heard what he said and had revelation that we are all sinners in need of grace and mercy. They began to go away one at a time, the older one first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Because even that... She stood there, she's like, oh my gosh, what's happening to my life right now? Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go. See, it doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. And we're going to break this down. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. You know, as I read that story massive and pregnant, I just remember sobbing. I remember sobbing so hysterically for the first time, feeling grace towards my mother. And I remember just crying out to God going, God, I'm so sorry, I forgive her, I forgive her. And I just remember the Holy Spirit speaking so clearly to me saying, I'm so glad you forgive her because you were the Pharisee that threw her down at my feet when you should be on your knees next to her asking for my forgiveness. And you better believe I fell to the ground with my big belly between my legs and I asked for the Lord's forgiveness and just cried out to him. And it was like in this moment where I realized how deeply forgiven I was that, oh man, the sin that I have walked in, the things that I have done, the way that Jesus has loved me and he has seen me and he has never turned his back on me, 
that that is what he calls us to. He calls us to see differently, not to see the sin, but to see the person that is in need of forgiveness, in need of love. And, and what I know is that it was so cool, I have to tell you the rest of this story, is that it was not too long after that that my mom flew to Australia where we were living at the time because she's a birth and postpartum doula. So she came to be there for the birth and I was so nervous because honestly, I had been the most cruel daughter to her. Do you know what was interesting though is before I moved to Australia, she said this one line to me. I remember it was like two days after I had found out about everything and I was laying on the couch and I was like so angry at her and glaring at her while she was in the kitchen because I was being a child. And, and I remember her looking at me going, hey Andy, I only hope one day that you can forgive me like Jesus has forgiven me. And do you know what I wanted to do and say to her right then? But also the truth is, is that she was right. Is she knew how deeply forgiven she was for how deep her sin was. And I was acting self-righteous and like a Pharisee with an opinion and trying to catch her out and be cruel to her. So fast forward, I walk in forgiveness. She shows up at the house and I remember being so nervous. <laughs> And we were sitting there on the floor, washing. We had washed, done all the washing of uh, Zeke's clothes and we were folding his clothes. And I'll never forget that day where I just looked at her and we were kind of being cordial to each other. You know, she was like trying to inch into my life, wondering how far can I come in? And I basically just let her all the way in. And I said, mom, I just wanna ask for your forgiveness. <laughs> For all the years of making you pay for your sin, will you please forgive me? And she just bursts into tears and grabs me and we were holding each other. And she's like, of course I forgive you. And we're sobbing and, and it wasn't just a couple of days later that Zeke was born. And do you wanna know the really cool part of this story that's just fun to tell before I break down the scripture and we lean into forgiveness and seeing people in their sin and their mess differently <laughs> is that I remember that Zeke was born on July 31st, eight years to the day that I got saved. I got saved on July 31st, eight years to the day. And it was funny, we did this study and I realized that eight in the Bible or in Hebraic numbers is actually the number for new beginnings. And I couldn't believe that God was so good that he would bring the next generation onto the earth after this act of forgiveness and reconciliation to say, you get to start again. And that is how our God is. He is a God who shows us how to start again. He is a reconciler. He is a good God. He is a redeemer and he is a restorer. And so, no matter what season you're in right now, I want you to know that Jesus is always teaching. So I pray that you'll lean in right now and you will receive from God's word. You will receive his love and we will begin to see, not with our human eyes, but we will begin to see with the eyes of Jesus, with our eyes wide open. So what can we learn from this story? Well, we can learn a lot from this story, but I'm only gonna give you three things, but I hope that in your time during this, this week where you are maybe with family or connected with others or doing Google chats or Zoom chats um, for, for different Bible studies or connecting with others, maybe you'll break down the scripture and talk about it a little bit more. But the first thing I wanna give you is this, is that in our humanity, we see the sin, but Jesus sees the person. In our humanity, we see the sin, but Jesus sees the person. Think about it. Every person that is born onto this earth, from the criminal to the richest and the greatest, to the least of these, to the disenfranchised, to the homeless, to your neighbor that you maybe don't even know their name, 
they are sons and daughters. They are created to be in relationship with a loving God. And maybe you're in a place where all you can see is their sin. All you can see is the ugliness of the choices that they've made, depending on how you're in relationship with them or depending on what the news feed says about them, whoever they are. But Jesus sees them as a son and a daughter. Verse three, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. She had a title, a label, a name. She was a woman, not just a woman, a woman caught in the act of adultery, forever titled this. This was her place, this is her space. They brought her out to shame her in front of the people and then hopefully shame Jesus as well. That was their goal. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman, this woman, no name, this woman caught in the act of adultery. You go on to the end of the story, verse 10. What does Jesus say after he straightens up, tells them to go away unless they can throw a stone? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And I love that he doesn't say, woman caught in the act of adultery, where are they? He says, no, you're a woman. You are a child of God. You are a daughter. You are a person. I don't place a label on you. You are a woman. Has no one condemned you? You know, this is something too, like I go back to that story with my mom and dad and I look at their story and as it unfolded, of course, it wasn't just this story of my mom's infidelity. It was a story of brokenness and story of so many things that were at play in their lives. But you know, when I first found out, I only saw the sin. I could no longer see my mother who was deeply loved by Jesus, who was seen by Jesus, who was forgiven by Jesus. I could not see that. And like I said, I remember when my mom said that to me, Andy, I only hope you can forgive me one day the way Jesus has. I couldn't have been more angry at her saying that to me, but she was right. So I want you to consider who is this for you? where you look at them and all you can see is their sin and and you're reviled by them or angry at them when you're in their presence. Who can you not see as a son or a daughter in need, need of a savior because all you see is what they have done? Maybe it is your mother as well. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's a sibling, a sister or a brother. Maybe it's a coworker or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or your spouse or one of your best friends. Someone that you're like, why did you do that? I don't know where you're at. I don't know who you see where all you see is the sin and you're angry and you don't know how to move forward. Here's what I want you to do. We need to take a minute. Maybe after um, we're done with this service and you turn off your TV or laptop or your phone and you put it down for a second and just go, Jesus, how do you see them? Because I'm struggling to see them how you do. I don't see them with your eyes, tell him, ask him, say, would you open my eyes to how you love them, how you see them? Second one is this, is that in our humanity, in our humanity, we condemn others. (laughs) But I love this, Jesus convicts us of our own sin. So in our humanity, what do we do? We condemn others. We wouldn't say we do. We're just, you're just slightly judging them and I'm just judging them by their fruit, Lord. But no, we're condemning other people. But what does Jesus do? In the middle of us pointing the finger at other people, he convicts us of our own sin. I mean, it's kind of this whole thing where he's like, hey, remember that um, you're talking about the speck in that other person's eye? 
Time out before you point out the speck in their eye. Check out the plank that's in your eye that's knocking everybody over all the time. Why do you think about that? And I think about how in this story, uh, in our modern Western culture, uh, we would never stone someone. We would never do that in our Western context. It's unheard of. And the suggestion is actually even shocking to think about. Why would we do that? That's so intense. Like we, w- we wouldn't think to do that. But you know, as I was preparing this message and I was going over this scripture and it's so deeply personal to me and a part of my own journey, I started to think about this. What is our modern day equivalent of us trying to stone someone in their sin? Have you ever thought about that? Because sometimes we're like, oh, you know, that, that doesn't relate because we wouldn't stone someone in our Western culture. And I'm like, well, but what do we do? when people sin? What do we do when we want to call them out? Well, just a couple of things. I mean, thinking about this, what about cancel culture? Okay, I will read just in case you're like, what is cancel culture? I don't know what that means. I will read this to you. But what I think cancel culture is, it's our modern day mob mentality where we're like, crucify him. This is what we do with cancel culture. Let me read to you the definition. It describes a form of boycott in which someone, usually a celebrity or someone that is well-known, who has shared a questionable or controversial opinion or has had behavior in their past that is perceived to be offensive, called out on social media and is canceled. They are completely boycotted by many of their former followers or supporters, often leading to massive declines in the celebrities or well-known person's career and fan base. And the truth is, is like, we would never want that to happen to us in a public setting like that. It's embarrassing. It would cause shame. But meanwhile, we're totally okay to do it with other people. This is like our modern day mob culture, right? Online shaming, same sort of thing. It's a form of internet vigilanteism. Never thought I was going to bring out that word. In which the targets are publicly humiliated for actions done privately or without wanting intended public broadcast using technology like social and new media. Proponents of shaming see it as a form of online participation that allows hacktivists and cyber dissidents to write injustices. Critics see it as a tool that encourages online mobs to destroy the reputation and careers of people or organizations who made perceived slights. Now, some of you are mad right now because the truth is, is there is some injustices going on out there. And you know what? I'm not saying that you should be like, let's follow those people. Let's, you know, be a part of wrong things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is take a minute and go, Jesus, I don't want to join the mob in this. What do you want me to do? How do you see Do we pray for those people first that they would find Jesus, that they would have a road to Damascus experience like Paul? Or do we just join in the mob mentality and go after people? Yes, we have to be wise. Yes, we have to have boundaries. No, we don't condone sin. And we'll get to that point as well. But the truth is, is once again, I'm pretty sure I would never want this done to me. I would never want, I have the golden rule going through my head, right? Where your mom or your teacher said this to you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I'm like, I wouldn't want anybody to do this unto me. So what would I want to do to others if it was to be reciprocated? And the truth is it's not the golden rule. It's actually the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. See, what I see here is something really interesting is as much as those things cancel culture and and online shaming, what ends up happening is we create a culture of guilty until proven innocent. 
And you know, we're like, I'm American. And I know not only Americans are watching this, but really what we try to do, even in most judicial systems, is we try to operate under a belief that we are innocent until proven guilty. But the modern day courtroom before the real courtroom proves people guilty and ruins their lives before they even get the right to a fair trial. And the truth is, is this is just not modern times. This is actually here in the Bible. We are reading the exact same thing. We saw mob culture at hand for this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Was she really caught in the act of adultery? We don't actually know. It's just the title she is given and the way that Jesus sees her is that even though she should have been stoned to death in the law, that Jesus looked at her differently and pointed the finger at everybody else. And this has been happening since the dawn of time. It's just that we have modern day stones that we throw. Again, I'm not saying that we're saying things are right, but we need to lean into Jesus, into kingdom culture first before modern day culture and go, Jesus, how would you like us to respond to the wrongs that we see in this world? What's so interesting too is, Jesus doesn't let us get away with this stuff. I thought about this. When when we point the finger at someone else, I remember someone saying this once, is that it's almost like the Holy Spirit's like, hey, three fingers are actually pointing right back at you. When we're pointing a finger at somebody else in their sin, Jesus is like, hey, how about you have a look at your own life? Hey, how about you take a moment and remember, Andy, don't cast the first modern day stone. What sin do you have in your life? It's like, have we forgotten? And this is the thing I started to realize. Have we forgotten that we are sinners in need of the Savior? That we were sinners. We are brought in sons and daughters. We're in need of a Savior. Have we forgotten that even at our worst, when our backs were turned to him, that he still died for us. He brought us home. Have we forgotten that it is by his grace that we are saved? Not by anything that we have done. We are nothing special without the gifts he has given us and what he has laid upon us. There's nothing we can boast about because his grace is so radical that in our darkest hour and in our darkest days and in our darkest seasons, that he receives us and he brings us home. Have we forgotten that we died with him? That we died with him. We are crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The resurrected Christ lives in me. So therefore, how would Christ in me respond? How would Christ in me respond? You know, This is all the definition of a broken humanity operating in and partnering with a system of fear. If you think about it, a system of fear is a partnership with the way the kingdom of darkness thinks instead of a system of truth and love, which is the way the kingdom of heaven thinks. Again, truth, we don't ignore the the sin. Love, we bring the sinner in. Jesus said to the crowd when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, truth to everybody. Let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, one at a time. And I, I think every time I read this, I just think the most radical thing is that Jesus was the only one who could have killed her. Jesus could have not shown any mercy or grace but he showed her love, he showed her mercy, and he saw her. And he also at the same time convicted everybody else of their sin. This is radical and I think honestly, Jesus is so confronting. He is so confronting and honestly sometimes 
a little bit offensive, but I like that Jesus offends us. He offends the sin in us because he wants the sin out of the way because he wants all of us. And the last thing is this. Number three is in our humanity, we operate in punishment, but Jesus, he calls us to a new way. He calls us to a new way. I love that there is no fear in love. We've heard this, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment and there is no fear in love. And Jesus doesn't come to punish us. He comes to eradicate us of our sin, to break the chains off our life, to set us free, to call us out in grace and mercy and love and to walk in a new way. I mean, I think sometimes if we're honest, sometimes the way that we operate is we're like, everybody is in need of a savior, except for those that I deem unfit because we're judgmental or we're angry, says modern day culture holding a torch and a pitchfork, right? We're like, ha, and we pretend we don't do that. But honestly, sometimes the ugliness of our hearts that we need to repent of those ugly spaces and places so that tenderness can come back into that space. Woman, where are they? Jesus says, he's like, hello, where are all of these people that were ready to take your life and shame you and publicly take you out? Where are they now? Has no one condemned you? And she's like, no, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. But this is the caveat. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. He didn't say, you know what? Don't worry about it. I love you. He says, no, I know that there was sin in your life. But now, because you have met me, because you see me, because of my love, because of my mercy, because of my grace, now go and live differently. Go and live differently. And I look at my mom and dad and I keep coming back to them because they are honestly some of my heroes. They live differently now because they chose to go and sin no more and they chose to rebuild their lives and their marriage. And honestly, they are such an amazing inspiration and they help so many. And again, the truth is, is I, I wanna put this in here because some of you are going, but what about dangerous people? Or what about people that I forgive that, but they keep on sinning? Or I honestly need to have a strong boundary with them. That's not what I'm talking about. See, we forgive. Jesus calls us when, when he forgives us to live a different way. Now you can forgive somebody, but if they choose to keep living the same way, I would say keep your strong boundaries in place. Go ahead and forgive them as many times as you need to. It does not mean you need to be in relationship with them. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus didn't come to punish. He came to forgive, release, and restore. Jesus shows us that we don't ignore the sin and turn a blind eye to it. We don't say that's okay. Instead, we confront sin with truth and love, knowing that there is grace from Jesus to go and sin no more if the person chooses that road, because it is a road to repentance and reconciliation. But when we sling shame on people, instead of calling them to a higher standard, like Jesus did with the woman caught in the act, do you see that? He doesn't just protect her and cover her and love her. He calls her up. He calls her out. He says, go and live a different life. But often we cut people off and we introduce punishment, making them feel like they are unworthy of love and connection. Like it's only for a certain few, but it's not. Jesus came to re reconnect all of us back to a loving father. He, he called us to turn from our way, truth and life and turn to his way, truth and life. He called us to a life of repentance, to repent of our sin, to repent of bitterness and unforgiveness, to forgive others. He called us to a different way. You know, 
Shame is an ugly thing. And Brené Brown, I mean, we all know that name. I think she is in every household in the world. And you know, she, she talks about shame a lot, but she defines it as shame is fear of disconnection. Shame is fear of disconnection. Look, if this is true about shame, if shame is fear of disconnection, then let's look at the woman caught in the act of adultery. Her shame, her public shame would have cut her off from her people and brought her to the ultimate act of being cut off, death. But think about the shame maybe that you have walked in. Think about the shame that's been put on you. Think about the ugliness and the hard things that you've walked to or maybe the shame that you've put on someone else. Maybe today is the day to lift that off because when we introduce shame, we introduce fear of connection. And Jesus came to reconnect us back to God. Look, there is mercy for our sins. There is mercy, not affirmation, but mercy. But grace and mercy cause us to want to live differently. Mercy causes us to see how Jesus lived and follow in his way. He does not bring shame, nor does he ignore our sin. He calls us out without shaming us. And so why don't we live a different way? Why do we believe we have the ability to go of who gets mercy to decide who gets mercy and who doesn't? Why do we believe we get to sit on the judgment seat or is it just me? And I remember when the Holy Spirit said, get off that judgment seat, it is for a party of one. No, we don't turn a blind eye to sin. Again, we call it out and we call people up with truth and with love. And Jesus is showing us a new way to live with our eyes wide open. As I read this again, just this last week, <laughs> it was like I had this revelation. Everyone, everyone is in need of forgiveness. The adulterer, the Pharisee, and those in the crowd with all of their opinions. Every single one of us are in need of forgiveness. So here's a call to action for you this week and then I'm gonna pray for you. It's just two things. Write these down, take some time, discuss it with your family, with your children, with some friends. But this is a call to action. Number one, do you feel like the woman caught in the act? Do you feel like that? Let today be the day you receive the forgiveness of God and freedom from the power of sin. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And number two is this, what stones do you need to drop today? Some of you are like, I don't wanna throw, I don't wanna drop my stones, I would like to throw them. But what stones do you need to drop today? And how can you replace judgment and condemnation with grace, forgiveness, and the compassion that Jesus walked in. How can you live with your eyes wide open seeing differently? Ephesians 4.32. This is Sammy's memory verse this week and he was given it to me yesterday. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ Jesus also forgave you. Remember, he forgave you, so forgive one another.